Hey, I want to welcome you to the Marty McLean Podcast. This is episode nine. Today's topic, spiritual warfare. That's right. I'm going to talk about God and the devil. I'm talking about angels and demons. I'm even going to talk about heaven and hell. Spiritual warfare. It is real. It is happening. Whether you believe it or not, it is going on. There is a there is a world that you cannot see that impacts and controls the world that you can see. That's how the Bible puts it, and that's, that's what I've experienced in life. So if you believe that there's not a spiritual reality to what's going on in this world today, I want you to listen very, very closely today because we're going to talk about the origin of Satan. We're going to talk about, talk about heaven and hell. We're going to talk about a spiritual battle that's going on, and it is happening today in the United States of America. I hope that you can see behind all that's going on in our culture today and see that there is a rea- spiritual reality that's behind that. There's a spiritual confrontation. There is a spiritual battle that is taking place. It's happening today. We can, we can experience it. And one of the things that has happened in American Christianity, the world of evangelicals, if you will, is that back in the 80s and 90s, we had what we call the cultural war, and it continued on into the 2000s. But there was a, a battle for the soul of our nation. That's kind of what we felt like it was. And you had what they called the religious right, and you had the secular culture spearheaded by the media and Hollywood in the news. And there was a confrontation of values, a confrontation of what we felt like life was all about. And it's kind of, you know, we live in a free society where you're free to express yourself, you're free to have your opinion, your own beliefs, and and that's fine, but who was going to be the driver in our culture? And it's very, very important because I believe that the liberties that we have in the United States of America did not spring out of liberalism. They did not spring out of atheism. They sprung out of a Judeo-Christian worldview. And when you start to take that Judeo-Christian worldview away, you're not going to have the same rights that you enjoy in that Judeo-Christian world, society, culture that has been created. However, what I want to talk about now is I want to talk about uh, the evangelicals or, as some would say, the religious right, that, that portion. How when it came to the cultural war that there was probably a, uh, there probably got to be a time where evangelicals did not communicate love uh, to the extent that it needed to be communicated. And probably some methods were employed that may not have been the best. So there's an acknowledgement that, you know, some, some attitudes and some actions could have been better. And I think anytime, anytime you're engaged in a conflict, it requires a constant checking of your motives, a constant checking of your words and your actions, because people get really, really involved, and people get really, really emotionally charged. And that's kind of what happened. So I'm not saying that, that religious right or evangelicals in that section were, were without fault, because I think some things could have been communicated better, and maybe some, some methods could have been uh, done in a different way. Let, let's just put it like that. And so that's just kind of acknowledging that. But here's here's what I think happened. I think there was a reaction to a reaction. Uh, the religious right was a reaction to the to the bad drift in our culture, and then there was a reaction to some of the methods and the words that may not have been the best by other evangelicals. So you had a reaction to a reaction, and their reaction was, you know what, we're not going to get involved in anything in the culture. We're not going to that's controversial. We're not going to get involved in quote the cultural war, and so consequently, what they did is they failed to address 
what was going on in the culture in a way that needed to be addressed when it came to, say, human sexuality or when it uh, came to issues like abortion. They just did not address them because that was part of what was deemed the cultural war. And so issues that are spiritual in origin, issues that are part of the spiritual battle, they were not being addressed. That's like if the United States during World War II, if they would have said, you know what, we're just going to focus on Germany. We're not going to worry about Japan. We'll just leave Japan because we don't worry about them right now. We're not going to be a part of that. That would have been a terrible decision. And I think what happened with evangelicals, well, some evangelicals, is that some of them said, you know what, we're, we're above the cultural war. We're, we're above the co cultural conflict. Now, understand, you have a cultural war because there's a spiritual war going on. So what you have to do is you have to look behind what you can see, and you have to look at what is unseen. So with all that said, I want to get to who is the source behind all that is evil. If we're going to have a spiritual battle, if it's a spiritual conflict, well, we know we have God, but who's on the other side? Well, it's obviously the devil. Now, who exactly is the devil? What, what do we know about him? Well, I'm going to get the information I get about the devil. I'm going to get it from the Bible. We know that uh, the devil is responsible for all that is evil in the world today. In Scripture, he's known as Satan, Lucifer, and the devil. He's real and he's active. Uh, of course, we become first aware of his presence in Genesis chapter 3, when in the form of a servant, serpent, he deceives Eve into transgressing God's command, and she partakes of the fruit and gives it to her husband Adam, sending her into the world. Now, we can piece together certain portions of Scripture and get a better idea of, okay, what happened, where was he before he was a serpent? Well, in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, God's addressing two kings, the king of Babylon and the king of Tyre. In the address, we know that the, the words go beyond the human kings to the one who is the motivation behind their actions, Lucifer. Originally created as an angel of God, Lucifer was given much heavenly responsibility. However, pride entered into his being, and he sought to exalt himself above God. And we know from 1 Timothy 3, 6, that the primary sin of the devil is pride. Of course, uh, he wanted to be God. That job was already taken, and he was cast down from heaven uh, with those angels who sought to follow him. And now he goes about the task of seeking to wreak havoc on God's highest creation, which is man. Now, having led man to sin in the garden, Satan delights in sin because sin is an affront to God. Jesus said in Luke 10, 18, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus also refers to Satan as a liar and a murderer. Now, the word devil itself means to slander. The word Satan means adversary. Now, Satan still desires to be worshipped. Even in Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, he tried to get Jesus to worship him. And he said, you worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Of course, Jesus responded with Scripture. It is written, you should worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall you serve. So that's kind of the origin of the devil. We know that even in our culture today, I've got a, an article from Vox, and it says, belief in God is declining, but belief in Satan is on the rise. Now, why in the world do you think in our culture today that the belief in Satan would be on the rise? Well, could it be perhaps some of the, way he's, the ways he uh, is depicted in movies? Uh, you know, even back in the 70s, you had the exorcist and Rosemary's baby. That's uh, Then you had the omen. I don't know about you, but after I saw the omen, I'm thinking, why in the world was I allowed to see the omen? But anyway, I never wanted to see a Rottweiler again. Uh, and then, you know, recently, more recently, you have the exorcism of Emily Rose. 
And uh, I can remember a couple of years ago, a couple of three years ago, we were out in Los Angeles and we went up to the Griffith Observatory and uh, we couldn't get all the way there because they were filming a movie. And so I asked one of the guys on set, I said, hey, what, uh, what, what are y'all filming? Well, they weren't filming a movie, they were filming a TV series. He said, oh, we're filming Lucifer. And I was like, oh, goodness, isn't that just wonderful? And, you know, you have Lucifer in that series depicted as, as a guy. You know, I don't know all the, the plot line, but I do know that they have been renewed for a sixth. Wouldn't it be a sixth and final season, the number of a man, 666, sixth season? And I reckon uh, the series of Lucifer is actually experiencing its own Armageddon. It will end at that time. So you do have Satan depicted in a lot of ways in our culture. Uh, we know how, uh, where he, his origin is. He's originally an angel created by God. And so the belief in the devil, believe it or not, is, according to surveys, is increasing in our culture today. So if he exists, uh, what exactly does, does he do? Well, Jesus referred to the devil as the prince of this world. We know from the words of Jesus that the devil is a liar, he's a murderer, he's a deceiver. Uh, you look in Acts chapter 5, he, he inspires a guy named Ananias and his wife Sapphira to lie and bring hypocrisy into the church. We know in Revelation 2.10 that he stirs up persecution against the church. He is referred to as a wolf, a, a lion, and a, and a serpent, the one who sows tares among the wheat the ruler of this world. He has been given a certain measure of free reign on this earth by God. And his desire, as I mentioned earlier, is to lead mankind away from God through sin and false worship. We know even with the first two sons, Cain and Abel, that Cain murdered Abel. And the reason why he murdered, murdered him, according to 1 John 3.12, says of Cain, he was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. We know that Satan delights in false systems of worship. He deceives people. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says that he has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. He's alive and well. He's the orchestrator of evil. He seeks to weaken the nations, to lead nations astray, according to Revelation 12.9. So we are in a battle, whether we realize it or not. We have an adversary. We have a, an enemy that is sworn our destruction. He wants to lead people into sin. Uh, he has incredible influence in the world today. As a matter of fact, 1 John 5, 19 says the whole world lies under the, the sway of the wicked one. His desire is to keep people away from God. Why? So they will experience eternity in a place called hell. Scripture says that he's come to steal, kill, and to destroy. However, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 2, 14, that Jesus came to destroy the works, uh, that Jesus came to destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And in 1 John 3 8, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So you see, there, there's a battle going on. The devil's come to still kill and destroy, but Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil, to destroy the devil, to defeat the devil. That's why in Matthew 16 18, Jesus said, quote, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You have to understand that gates were a symbol of a city strength. The gates of hell refer to death. Death is the ultimate weapon of Satan. Death is the last enemy to be destroyed, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 26. We're in a battle. We must remember our purpose or else we will forget and we will get lulled into the things of the world and grow cold toward the things of God. Ephesians 6, 12 reminds us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities 
and against powers. So with the acknowledgement that we are in a spiritual battle, and the devil is real, and there are demons that are in this world, they can't be seen, but they manifest themselves. And you say, Marty, you believe that there is actual literal demon possession? You better believe I do. You better believe. If you've seen some of the things I've seen, you may believe it as well. But there is, I do believe that there is demon possession. I do believe that there, there are demons in this world. I do believe that there is an incredible, intense spiritual battle that is going on. And here's the deal you need to understand. What is going on is for keeps. Now, here's what I want. I, I want to talk about hell for just a minute. Now, it's not a topic that we're fond of talking about, but it's a destination that we want to avoid at all costs. Did you know in the New Testament, there are 1,850 verses that record the words of Jesus. One writer has said 13% of these verses deal with eternal judgment in hell. As a matter of fact, it's often been mentioned that Jesus spoke more of hell than he did of heaven. It's a literal place. So what do we know about hell? Well, I'm going to take what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to take it from the Bible. And I can tell you that in the Old Testament, the abode of the dead was called Sheol. Now, Sheol had two parts, one for the righteous and one for the unrighteous. The part for the righteous was called paradise or Abraham's bosom. And the part for the unrighteous was a place of torment. We know in the New Testament, there are three words used for hell. Gehenna is the first. It's a, it's a trash heap. It was located south of Jerusalem. It had been a place of pagan sacrifice previously in the history of the Jewish nation. Children had been burned in sacrifice to the pagan deity Moloch. In Jesus' day, it was just a trash heap that continually burned with fire it was used to signify a place of final judgment. There's also a place known as Hades. It was used to signify the place where the wicked go for the intervening time between their death and final judgment. It's a place of torment until the final resurrection. Finally, there's a place in 2 Peter 2.4 known as Tartarus. Uh, it was used as a place where a certain class of fallen angels have been assigned until judgment. Now, these are bad bad demons that are in that place of Tartarus. So it can be said that when someone dies without Christ, they go to Hades until the final resurrection. So what's that all about? Well, I do believe that prior to the time of Christ, there was a place uh, where the righteous dead would go. We would refer to it as paradise. That's why Jesus would say to the thief on the cross today, you will be with me in paradise. But after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, now those who die in the Lord, according uh, to the New Testament, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The payment for sin has been made. Sacrifice has been offered. Uh, the Old Testament saints, as well as those who die now in the Lord, they go into the presence of the Lord. But we know from a, a parable, a story that Jesus told in Luke 16, 19 through 26, that death is a time of separation between the righteous and the unrighteous. That is, it is, it is a time where what has happened in, in this life, which is temporary, fixes what will happen in the next life, which is eternal. That is why you live this life anticipating the life yet to come. And hell is depicted in Scripture, a place of outer darkness, a place of fire, a place of torment, a place of punishment. It is a place to be avoided, a place to be avoided at all costs. That's why, you know, it, there were times where Jesus would say words like this in Mark 9, 47. He says, and if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. 
Those are the words of Jesus. He also said in Matthew 10, 28, And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. These are real words spoken by Jesus. Now remember, it's in the Bible, the biggest selling book of all time, the most distributed book of all time, the most read book of all time, the book that's been scrutinized and torn apart more, more than any other book in history, yet it still stands the test of time, the book that is used to do archaeological research, the book that is used to look at prophecies that have been made, and lo and behold, they were fulfilled. It's an incredible book. So if Jesus spoke these words, it's very, very important. Now let me read something to you from Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Here's what John saw. He says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in these books. The sea gave up their dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to their works. Then death and Hades were cast, Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So according to the Bible, those who are not written, whose names are not written in the book of life those who are not followers of Jesus Christ, they're judged according to their works. Why? Because your, your works, your, your sin will be judged. Either you accept that Jesus was judged on your behalf when your sin were laid, was laid upon him on the cross, or you're willing to pay for your sins for all of eternity. That's why the gospel is great, great news. It means that I don't have to pay for my sins for all of eternity, that the wages of sin is death, that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And he made payment on my behalf. The devil doesn't want people to understand that. The devil does not want people to know that. Heaven and hell are at stake. Now, you, you, have, to, you have to be willing to grab hold to that. And we're in a spiritual battle. So when I say we're in a spiritual battle, it's a battle not just, hey, I want my ideas to win or, you know, I want to have the most sway or I want to be the driver in this culture. No, because we're talking about eternity. And the devil wants to blind people's eyes. The devil wants to confuse people about what's right and wrong. Why? Because if you don't know that sin is sin, then you don't know you need to repent. If you don't know you need to repent, you don't understand that Christ died on the cross for your sins and you need forgiveness. And if you don't know that you need forgiveness, you think you're all right with God. And you're not. And you'll find out when you die that you aren't. So we've got to do spiritual warfare. Now, when some people talk about spiritual warfare, now they're saying, okay, I, there's heaven and hell. There's God and the devil. Jesus is the source of salvation. He's the one that paid, on, you know, paid the debt on the cross or on our behalf. He was buried, suffered death. He was resurrected. Now, I believe my sins were paid by Jesus on the cross. I've accepted him by faith in my life. Now, what happens? Do I just live this life and everything? So I know you're, you're in a spiritual battle. The devil wants to neutralize you. He wants to render you ineffective. But God has called you to be salt and light. Bible says that we are ambassadors for Christ. We are his witnesses, according to Acts 1.8. So we're to make a difference in this world. And as we seek to make a difference, this is what Jesus said. Or this is what it says in John chapter 3, verse 19. And this is the condemnation that, that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Well, when the light penetrates the darkness, 
Some people don't like it because they like darkness because their deeds are cloaked in darkness and they want to keep doing them and they're not right. But we're called to be salt and light. So there's going to, there's going to be tension. If you're a Christian and you really seek to live your life for the Lord and you really want to be all that God's called you to be, you will have tension. Matter of fact, Jesus said in this life you will have tribulation. So you can call tension tribulation or tribulation tension, whatever you want to do. There's going to be conflict, but you're called to be in the middle of it. And you're called to be kind and loving, but you're also called to be a dispenser of the truth. You're to be salt and light. So we're, we're, we're in the middle of a battle. There's a spiritual battle. Now, you know, recently we lost an American legend. We lost Charlie Daniels. Now, I went to see Charlie Daniels just probably a couple of years ago, a couple of three years ago. He was in Bremen, you know, an 80-year-old man. You don't go see concerts for many 80-year-old men, but I don't know what the deal is, but me and Stephanie... Most of the people we go see in concert like, are in their late eight, uh, 70s or early 80s, like Bill Gaither and uh, Chubby Checkers. I mean, he can still do the twist. Matter of fact, I thought some of the women were getting a little bit out of hand at the concert with Chubby Checkers. My opinion, but anyway, but Charlie Daniels, you know, his classic song, The Devil Went Down to Georgia. Now, that's a song when we think about it. Hey, is that how spiritual battle is done? Do I need to... Uh, learn how to play my fiddle. I mean, because the devil wants the guy's soul. Uh, how does that work? Well, you know, in the song, you know, he says, Johnny, rising up your bow and play your fiddle hard because hell's broke loose in Georgia and the devil deals the cards. And if you win, you get this shiny fiddle made of gold. But if you lose, the devil gets your what? Soul. Now, that's not how it works, but the last part does work. Your soul is going to go somewhere. And wouldn't you rather your soul be in a place called heaven rather than in a place called hell, second death? I would think so. So, if you're not a believer, I would encourage you to embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Accept His payment for your sin on, on the cross. That's, that's, that's why the gospel is good news, is great news, and you, and you really, really need to do that. But now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit to believers who are like Johnny. Uh, you got to rise up your bow, but that's really not how you do spiritual battle spiritual warfare, uh, but what, how, how, do you, how do you take on the devil? What do you do? Well, the Bible says in the book of James, uh, James chapter 4, verse 8, the Bible says, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your heart, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. So you need to, you know, evaluate your life. You want to be close to God, you cleanse your hands, you purify your heart. Is there anything you're doing in your life right now that's not what it needs to be? Uh, anything going on in your heart that doesn't honor God, maybe? Uh, you got a lot of lustful thoughts in your heart. Let me tell you something. I want you to hear me very clearly. If you are engaged in viewing pornography... Jesus said, if you look upon a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Pornography is wrong. And you're letting the devil have all kinds of hooks in your life. And you're not going to be effective in the battle like the Lord wants you to be. And the devil has a way of poisoning your heart and your soul and your mind. And you don't want that to be the case. That's why the previous verse in, John, in, in James I just read to you James 
4, verse 8, but the previous verse says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. The way you submit to God is you cleanse your hands and you purify your heart. Let me ask, does the devil have any hooks in your life? That mean that you're, nobody's without sin, but do you have that willful, habitual sin going on in your life right now? Do you have unforgiveness? Do you have bitterness? If you want to be effective in the spiritual battle, you, you've got to get this stuff right because you will not be effective. And let me tell you something. When you start doing spiritual warfare, the Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. The way you submit to God is you, you, you have that, the heart that God wants you to have. You, you examine your heart. You, you look at what you're doing. If there's stuff you're doing you ought not to, you say, you know what? I need to submit to God in this area of my life. That, that's why Romans 12, 1 and 2, I'll say it over and over again, that we need, to, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That we need to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's our service, our reasonable, our spiritual service. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's how we prove that what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So if there's something with your hands or something with your heart that's not right, get that right. You've got to submit to God. And one of the ways that you do that, according to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, if you look in the first several verses there, it talks about taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That if the enemy has any stronghold in your mind, and I've heard somebody put it this way, it was so effective when, it, when, I've heard, when I heard it, is that when you have a thought, that's an emotion that's attached to a thought, and that, that thought is wrong, and that emotion just energizes it, and that's implanted in your mind, you need to get rid of it. If that does not honor God, you get rid of it. Because the enemy will be able to launch attacks in your life through that stronghold. And, and you, you do not want that to be the case. So when you are engaging in spiritual warfare, you want to make sure that... You've submitted to God. How's your heart? What are you doing with your hands? I'll tell you, here's a portion of Scripture that always, you know, you, know, you can think about when you're doing spiritual battle. And I know you're probably not going to be involved with it in this type of fashion, but it, this is a good uh, visual reminder if you, can, if you can think about this. It's from Acts chapter 19, starting with verse 13. It says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped upon them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Let me tell you something. That's just a good way of just remind, reminding ourselves, you know, if I'm going to do spiritual battle, if I'm, going to be, if I'm going to pray against the works of the devil, if I'm going to be light penetrating the darkness, if I'm going to be engaged in the, in the cultural issues of our day, and I know it's a spiritual battle and I'm praying spiritual warfare, I'm praying in the name of Jesus, then I need to make sure that my heart's where it needs to be. I need to make sure that I've purified my heart and cleansed my hands because this stuff is for real. I, I, I give you, whenever you stir something up, you've got to be ready for it to come after you. Just know that. 
Because I, I've seen some people that got really serious about the Lord, and they're like, man, I want them to make a difference for the Lord, and I know that, that I'm needed in this area, and I, I know there's a lot of darkness there. I want to penetrate the darkness, and their life's not where it needs to be. Their heart's not right. They're doing stuff with their hands they ought not to do, and they get attacked. And, and they, it's, it's just unmerciful the way they get attacked by the devil, and they're not ready for it. There's one time when I was a teenage boy, we used to have wrestling come to Vidalia. I don't know why, but we used to get the big-name guys. I mean, we got uh, Jake the Snake Roberts, King Kong Bundy. Uh, we would get some really big names, and they would wrestle at the junior high gym. And it was right next to where we practiced football, varsity football. I remember one time we got uh, – they let us all in for free because you know, it was right after football practice. And there's even one guy, you know, was watching us practice. Somebody said, hey, that's Ted DiBiase watching us practice. He's a big wrestler. So anyway, we go in there, and uh, we're watching. has big-name wrestlers there. And I remember me and my friend, whom I will not mention his name, but we were leaving, and it was dark, and uh, he'd been drinking uh, a Coke or something out of a cup and had a lot of ice in his cup. And when we were leaving, we looked up, and we could see the dressing room of, of a tag team group known as the Road Warriors. Now, they eventually became known as the Legion of Doom, the number one tag team of all time in wrestling. Now, this is back in 83 or so when they were just getting started. And so my friend took his cup and, you know, those old gym windows that, that you would pull out? It was one of those windows and we could see in that that's where they were. He said a few choice, non-sanctified words. Let's just put it that way. And he slung his cup of ice and all that ice went into the dressing room of the Road Warriors. And you could hear them after, you know, that ice went in there. They were like, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so we kept walking. About 10 or 15 seconds later, I just happened to look behind us. The road warriors had run out of their dressing room and run down the stairs, and they were outside coming after us. Now, we took off running. They didn't get hold to us. And I, I don't know what would have happened if they would have gotten hold to us. I don't know if they would have put us in a pile driver, figure four, reverse Sheehan, Dumaki. I don't know what would have happened. But I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have been good, and it probably wouldn't have been fake. They were mad. See, what had happened is we stirred them up. And we did so in kind of a, well, my friend did, in kind of a, you know, nonchalant, ha-ha, this is funny type way. We're not really prepared for what's going to come after us. And let me tell you something. We stirred those road warriors up, and they came after us. We got out of there. We were no match. Let me tell you this. You get involved in spiritual warfare. If there's stuff in your heart that's not right, if you're doing stuff with your hands, you all not. I'm talking about stuff. Everybody, everybody sins. Everybody, nobody's perfect. I'm talking about stuff that's habitual. I'm talking about stuff that you know is wrong. I'm talking about stuff that you're going to do anyway. You need to be very, very careful. Because when you start engaging in the spiritual battle, it's real. And we have an enemy. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5:8, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He'll come after you. There'll be demons coming after you. You say, do you believe there are demons? Yeah, I, once again, yes, I do believe. I believe we live in a world where what is seen is controlled by what is not seen. I believe there's a spiritual battle going on. And I believe God has called believers to be involved in that spiritual battle. And we're not in a cultural battle. We are in a spiritual battle. So if you ever think, hey, we're in a cultural battle, battle, you need to look beyond that and say, no, we're in a spiritual battle. And it has cultural implications. 
Because if you just look at it as a cultural battle, you'll, do, you'll go about it in the arm of the flesh, and it won't amount to a hill of beans. You may wind up doing more harm than good. But if you say, we're in a spiritual battle and there are cultural implications, I need to be praying. I need to be light penetrating the darkness. I need to be the salt and light that God's called me to be. Now, let me just say this. I've not said everything that, that can be said about spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. Matter of fact, matter of fact I've just skimmed the surface. I've just skimmed the surface. I wouldn't challenge you to search the scriptures yourself when it comes to spiritual warfare. I, w- I want to challenge you to start praying and start looking beyond what is seen to what's unseen. And I want you to start thinking about people's eternal destinies. Because if you read the Bible, you read the prophecy that's in scripture, you see it being fulfilled. We're in the fourth quarter. I, th- I think without a doubt, we are in the fourth quarter. And the game that's being played is being played for keeps. And what happens in this life determines what happens for eternity. This life is temporary, but the life yet to come is eternal. This life, change can happen, but in the life to come, it's set. It's like in that parable, there's a great gulf fixed and you can't cross from one to the other. There is no purgatory. So if you've ever been banking on purgatory... Purgatory is not in the Bible. I'm sorry. You get one shot in this life. So once again, if you're not a believer, I want to encourage you to ask Christ to be your Lord and Savior, to repent of your sins, to place your faith in Christ and His death on the cross on your behalf. If you are a believer, I want to encourage you to be the salt and light that God's called you to be, to engage in spiritual battle. But make sure your heart's where it needs to be. Purify your heart and cleanse your hands. You draw near to God, He'll draw near to you. I want to thank you for being with me today for the Marty McLean podcast. I hope you have a great week, and I'll see you next time here on the Marty McLean podcast. <laughs>